that helps us refocus even as we enter, at least for me, a new school year. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your word. Thank you for the models and examples. Thank you for uh, just the story of your son, the truth of your son, the actions of your son that saved us, redeemed us, and then bring us home. Lord, we ask that you would just glorify his name and speak to our hearts that we would hear from you today and that we would be changed. Adjust our attitudes, adjust our perspectives, conform us to your son. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So I actually changed um, the title of the sermon to Don't Care Attitude. You're thinking, don't care. Okay, there's people out there that have a don't care attitude. You know what I'm talking about. I saw one yesterday. My wife and I were driving. We were running a few errands. And <clears throat> I won't mention the company, but a rather often delivering items to places company uh, was delivering and it had one of its big trucks out there and had made a right turn on Joppa Road where you know it's a big there's a stoplight and a lot of people are trying to turn right and people are trying to go forward and there's two lanes and he stopped right there like right at the turn like nobody else could turn right without having to turn right and go around and no one could go forward when the light turned green everybody had to like merge into one lane everybody's having to do it in the intersection it's causing a gigantic and i'm watching the guy. i think he's going over to get a rita's <laughs> i mean i know he's delivering something i'm not, that's crucial for our economy but i think he's going to go stop by and get a rita's rita's is important and the summer's almost over I, I i understand the desire to go get a rita's what i don't understand is you had to care about everybody else you know, it's like the person in the, the 10 items or less checkout line that has the two basket full and the other basket full. It's like, it says 10. It says 10. There's other people. This is for it. They just don't care. People have a don't care attitude. Well, here's the thing. Normally, we're reacting pretty strongly against that, right? It's like, boy, I, you know, people ought to have concern with others. People ought to care. But the Apostle Paul, who as he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ, so we want to emulate all the good things about the Apostle Paul, in some respects, the Apostle Paul had kind of a don't care attitude about some things. So today we're gonna look in Philippians chapter one and see where, well, Paul seemed to not care about certain things and care very deeply about other things. And maybe that will help us understand what we should care very deeply about. So let's start. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. It says this. It says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now we have to stop right there because we have to know that there's a context here. Uh, Philippians is called one of the prison epistles. That just means it was written from prison. So what had happened to Paul is Paul found himself stuck in jail. Uh, Paul found himself limited. Um, now, there were several times in the book of Acts we see the apostle Paul go to jail. Um, in Philippians, um, where, the, where he's writing this letter to, he was actually in jail overnight. Later, we see the Apostle Paul in jail in Caesarea of Philippi um, under sort of the, the, the Jewish leadership had, had accused him of things and they sent him to trial and uh, he was stuck in, in Caesarea, the Roman sort of capital of the area. He was stuck there in prison for two years. However, the book of Acts ends with Paul in Rome under house arrest there. This letter was probably written then. 
and was written back to the Philippians who were sending support and financial support and encouragement to Paul while he was under house arrest. Later in his life, he may have been in more of a prison like this. The other imprisonments might have looked more like this, but the house arrest might have been more, a little more comfortable. But let's face facts. Prison is punishment, right? It's not a good thing. You don't get to go where you want to go. You don't get to eat what you want to eat. You don't get to visit who you want to visit. It's not exactly sort of relaxing or entertainment time. Prison is prison. It's not good. Paul found himself stuck in prison for years. And here's the deal. He seems to have a don't care attitude. Paul didn't care about his imprisonment. Paul didn't seem to worry about being stuck in prison. In fact, this is what he says in verse 12. He gives us hint to why. He says, what has happened to me being stuck in prison actually serves to do what? Advance the gospel. Make the good news of Jesus known to more people. It's actually serving somehow to make the good news of Jesus, his salvation, where Jesus died on the cross, rose again, this incarnate son of God, the one by whom and for whom the universe was made. This Jesus, who Paul was all about and wanted to make sure everybody in the world knew about, this Jesus, his message, who he was, was going further, was going. Now, Paul was a missionary. His job was to go from place to place to place and tell others about Jesus. Is anybody seeing the lack of logic? I sure am. If you're supposed to go from place to place and place, you can't do that when you're stuck in prison. Okay, Paul, help me out here. How in the world is you being stuck in prison advancing the gospel? This should be like your greatest crisis. I'm stuck here, and their time is ticking away. People are dying without knowing Jesus. Though The world is, how, I, oh no, this is the worst thing that could happen would be a Paul being in prison. Not according to Paul. Paul says what's happened to him actually serves to, to advance the gospel. How? Look at verse 13, he tells us. He says, as a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. What? It's become clear through the whole palace guard that I'm in chains for Christ. How is that working? How is that happening? Okay, very simply. Every day, you get a, if you're under house arrest or if you're in one of the Roman jails, you might have had a guard right there chained up next to you or outside the door. There's someone bringing you the food. And wait a second. Paul saw that not as imprisonment, not as restricting, but as an opportunity to share about Jesus Christ. Hey, you're delivering the food today. What are we having? Paul doesn't care what's in the food. He cares about who's delivering the food because he's got an opportunity to say, can I tell you a story? Can I tell you about how I was on the Damascus Road? Can I tell you a story about how I was persecuting the name of Jesus? And Jesus revealed himself to me, the risen Lord Jesus Christ. You're a guard, you're my guard for the day. I got a story. Can I tell you a story? Because we're stuck here. There's nothing else for us to do. Can I tell you a story? Paul saw that his imprisonment actually served to advance the gospel, not only to these guards, but it says to everyone else. You see, there were already believers there in Rome or there in Caesarea or there throughout the world that heard of Paul's imprisonment. His imprisonment inspired them to share the gospel. If Paul was willing to go to jail for the message, if Paul was willing to sacrifice, then they too were willing to, to, to maybe spread the gospel. In fact, that's what he says, verse 14. 
And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become more confident in the Lord and dare to share and proclaim the gospel without fear. If Paul is willing to make that ultimate sacrifice, if Paul's willing to put his life on the line, if Paul is willing to give up everything and be thrown in prison, maybe I should too. We just got back, uh, Rachel and I were at a college ministry getting ready for the new year meeting with a lot of the other college ministers. And one of the ones, we, we were down in Annapolis at the Naval Academy with uh, some of the college ministers there. And one of my friends, Justin, and he has a little team of guys that work with him at the Naval Academy. And they love telling the stories about what God is doing among these young midshipmen and the Naval Academy and the guys that, well, they're stuck. You see, where all of the rest of us uh, in college ministry suffered a lot during COVID, I mean, none of the college students were at college. <laughs> Everybody was online. All of our ministries were stuck. The academies were still going on. The Naval Academy, West Point, these kind of places. They just brought all their guys in and said, oh, and you can't leave. You're not going to get infected because we're going to make a little bubble, and you guys get to stay here. And by the way, you guys are military, you're cadets, you're midshipmen. We own you, right? You don't get to go. Did you know the gospel went crazy at West Point? Right? Because they're all there. They have nothing to do on the weekends. They can't go anywhere. The only thing, people were sharing the good news of Jesus. The Naval Academy guys were talking to me about how churches are getting started at our naval bases because these midshipmen, as they get assigned and they get deployed, they go out with the good news of Jesus. Man, you're stuck on a ship for five or six years. Okay, maybe not that whole time. The gospel, it's not a prison. It's a place for the gospel to advance. What we see is restrictions. God sees and God calls us to an opportunity. The apostle Paul saw it as an opportunity. He didn't care about what seemed to be restrictive circumstances. What he cared about was the advance of the gospel. Well, in this passage, the second thing we're gonna see is that Paul was actually surrounded by false preachers false evangelists, people who had the wrong heart, people who didn't want to do it for the right reasons. Oh yeah, they were preaching Jesus, but well, let's look. Look at verse 15 and what Paul says. He says, it's actually true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others do so out of goodwill. Now these latter, the out of goodwill people, they do so out of love, knowing that I'm put here in defense of the gospel. They know that I'm in prison and I, I made the sacrifice. They're proclaiming Jesus. God's love, just like Paul says, Christ's love compels me. Christ's love is compelling them. They're sharing Jesus because people need to know about Jesus. They need to know about the love that God has for them. They need to know that they are cherished and that God sent his son to die and redeem them. God cares. God's love empowers and motivates us. The latter, the people who are proclaiming Christ out of goodwill, are doing so out of love. But look at the other group. Did you see the other group? This group that's preaching out of envy and rivalry? He says in verse 17 that this former group preached Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing they can spur up trouble for me while I'm in chains. Okay. These false preachers, these false evangelists, how in the world were they stirring up trouble for Paul? Paul's in prison. How much more trouble can he be in? <laughs> That's what I'm thinking. I'm like, can there somebody else you can go irritate? Because Paul's in jail. Well, what else are you going to do to Paul? How in the world can this be? 
well, here's how, you know, Bible scholars are kind of thinking, okay, how, how, what does Paul mean here? And we're not sure. He doesn't explain how they were stirring up trouble. We have to kind of like glean it from other passages in the scripture. And we know from 1 Corinthians that some may have been causing division in the church. In 1 Corinthians, um, Paul spends several chapters talking about how some are saying that there are factions in the church. Some are saying, I follow Paul, and others are saying, well, I follow Apollos, and some are saying, I follow Cephas, and others are saying, I follow Jesus. That it might have been that some are like, well, Paul's gone, and you know, he's a good guy and everything, but you know, we really need to change direction here. Hey, we really need to, and these who were still proclaiming Jesus, they were still saying Jesus is the way to salvation, Jesus is God's only son, Jesus is the one that you need to love and worship. They were saying those things, but they were also perhaps causing divisions in the church. We see this in other places. We do see in 2 Corinthians that Paul refers and makes kind of a vague reference to someone who intentionally did him harm, like tried to like hurt the apostle Paul um, in some ways, either bad mouthing or, or discrediting. We see this in John when he writes um, in, in 3 John about a guy who diatrophies, who actually is speaking ill um, of, of the apostle John himself and others. So we see that there are people in the church that were actually stirring up trouble. They were proclaiming Jesus, they were seen as Christians, they were even seen as evangelists and leaders, but they were still causing problems in the church. Man, I'll tell you what. <clears throat> you start talking bad about my friends, I'm gonna stand up, right? You start talking about bad about me, I'm gonna go into depression. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but you know how we all get, right? Uh, people, we like people who like us. Those people that talk behind our backs, those people that are stirring up trouble, those guys, oh, those are the ones that really get our ire up, right? They really, the Apostle Paul had a don't care attitude. He doesn't seem to worry about it. In fact, he doesn't care at all, it seems to be, about these false preachers. Now, if you go throughout the scriptures, you'll find out the Apostle Paul cares very much about false teachers people who were teaching another gospel, people who were teaching something that was not true about Jesus, people who were saying, oh yeah, believe in Jesus, but you also have to be circumcised, follow the whole Jewish religions and law codes. The whole book of Galatians is written against false teachers. We see uh, Peter in 2 Peter, Jude uh, in the book of Jude, 1 John was written against the Gnostics. False teachers, people who are teaching wrong things about Jesus, wrong things about God, wrong things about salvation. Oh yeah, this got the apostles upset. You can't proclaim a false gospel, no way. But false teachers, these false evangelists, these ones who are still proclaiming Jesus, Paul seems to not be that upset about. Look what it says in verse 18. He says, but what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. What does it matter? Yeah, I mean, yeah, they're bad-mouthing me. Yeah, they're causing some divisions. I mean, I don't want there to be division, but he's saying, I'm most concerned about what motivates my heart, what I'm deeply concerned about is that the gospel, the good news of Jesus spreads to every person. Paul deeply cared about the spread of the gospel. Boy, that makes me want to stop. When I think about what have I been thinking about, 
Okay, anybody ever do that? A little metacognition, right? Now that's not seeing the future. Meta, don't, don't, don't go me wrong. Metacognition, just thinking about what you think about, right? Metacognition, okay. You're, you're thinking about how you think. You're thinking about what you're thinking about. Whenever I think about what I'm thinking about, am I spending most of my time thinking about how the good news of Jesus is going to cross to every nation, to every people? Am I thinking about how the gospel of Jesus is going to a neighbor? Am I thinking about how the gospel of Jesus is spreading in my family? Am I praying about that? Or am I thinking, boy, my brakes are kind of squeaking. I might need to get those checked out. You know, before I, got, I got a lot of driving to do over the next several months. I, I, better, I better run that in. Oh, and when does that oil change? Because you should all get it done when the oil, I get the oil changed. Oh, okay, okay. That's what my thoughts are about. When does football season start? You know, I, I, how are the Ravens going to do this year? I mean, I, I, we've been waiting a long time for this. And if we got that quarterback situation figured, I mean, th I'm thinking about it. What about work? Oh, man. <clears throat> it's syllabus time. It's class time. It starts tomorrow. That's what I've been thinking about. Feels like prison of its own kind. I don't know. It's an opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ to spread across our campuses, um, to, to be in the lives of students at UMBC and Stevenson and Towson. Are we praying to that end? God, how are you going to use my work, these situations in my family, this time? If I have to go to the car dealership, maybe I don't just drop off the car. Maybe I need to wait there and see who I get to talk to. Because every day is an opportunity for the spread of the good news of Jesus Christ. Every day, every situation, in every way. That's what Paul says he's concerned about. I'm not so worried about people with selfish ambition. I'm not so worried about false teachers. Look, <clears throat> we are quick in, to condemn other churches. We are, now, not here, of course. I'm just saying we as Christianity in general. It's some vague reference to other people out there. It's certainly not us. But you know what I'm talking about. Oh, those are false evangelists. Those are false. Now, not, there are false teachers out there. But sometimes we disagree with, well, you know, that church doesn't quite do it right. Or, I mean, they're Christian, they're proclaiming Jesus, but we're quick to, to point a finger. We're quick to throw a stone. We're quick. And Paul's saying, guys, I'm thankful for a brother and sister. I'm thankful for another congregation that's proclaiming Jesus. I'm thankful for another campus ministry. I don't need to say, well, you know, they're all about having fun, but we're more about, you know, real discipleship. Oh, they're more about, you know, just Bible study, but we're better at evangelism. Oh, we're, I see it every year. The little college ministry is getting a rival. InterVarsity and Crew and Grace Life and it's same team. It's same team. It's same team. Let's not be concerned about the manner of somebody, or if even there seems to be, well, I think they've got selfish ambition. They're just all really about themselves. Look, let Jesus correct his people. Let Jesus fix his people. Let's be about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ to the nations. Anybody figure out a place? I think there's a lot of different applications there, and they probably all are just for me, because I'm entering that new year, and I've got to remember these things. What am I most concerned about? Well, we see it in Paul, and here's how he wraps up this little passage. He says, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. His deliverance? What does he mean by deliverance? Is he talking about his salvation? 
Well, we know the Apostle Paul does not mean that he's somehow earning his salvation. Jesus earned his salvation fully. His deliverance was fully paid for through Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection guarantees the eternal life and his eternal spiritual deliverance. We know it's not that eternal deliverance. But sometimes Paul does say we work out our salvation. So even through this imprisonment, this may be part of a refining, a part of conforming more to the image of Christ. This may be some kind of deliverance that he's talking about. This is teaching me not to be about my freedom, but to be about the freedom that I'm proclaiming in Christ. So maybe he's talking about that. He could also be talking about his deliverance from prison. That, that he's saying, look, God is going to work this out in me, that we are going to fully be reunited. He actually believes that, that he is going to be released. We're going to see that in just a moment. Paul was absolutely concerned about God's work both in himself and through himself. Well, I want to show you um, in the rest of this passage three things that, that we see how Paul was deeply concerned about because he didn't have a complete don't care attitude. In fact, he's going to show what he deeply cared about. Look at this. Paul deeply cared about faithfulness to the mission of God. That's what we've seen so far. But look what he says in verse 20. He says, I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but I will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. Now notice, he wasn't just concerned that the gospel would go forward. He was concerned that he would be faithful in proclaiming the gospel, that he would be faithful in representing his king. He would be faithful in showing that, yes, it's not just words, but it is truth. In my life, it's not just, oh, Jesus died for me and I'm going to heaven. It's yeah, my life is in his hands. If today is my last day, if this is my last breath, it doesn't matter because I belong to him. My eternity is secure. My life has been about him. And guess what? All of eternity is about him. So I'm just going to go ahead and be there with him and that'll be fine because that's what my life is about. It's not just words. It's all about him. I want Christ to be exalted in my body. And let's see, I'm facing, oh yeah, imprisonment. I'm facing interrogations. I'm facing trials. I'm facing maybe physical beatings he had to endure. I'm facing maybe even execution. It doesn't matter. Why? Well, it does matter. And in fact, <clears throat> I don't know if anybody's signing up for that. Beatings, discouragement, imprisonment, execution. I just want to have enough courage. Jesus, give me enough strength. Because it's not like he didn't have the human fears of those things. It's not like anybody's wanting, hey, I would like to have some more physical pain. I would like to have some more emotional trauma in my life. No one's in wanting those things. We're not trying to get those things. But we want to have sufficient courage that I would represent Jesus no matter what I'm going through. That I would be the person that walks by faith. Some of you all have faced some of these difficult, like physical traumas in your life. You've given testimony how God has brought you through. And so many of you have been these faithful witnesses who have just shown and modeled for the rest of us what it's like to be a person of faith. Some of you have lost jobs um, or, or been passed over for promotion. And you know that it's in part because of your walk with Jesus. I want to have sufficient courage and sufficient trust that I can face those things, honoring Jesus always. 
Paul says this, he goes on, makes the extreme statement, I feel like, in verse 21, that's really supposed to be the norm for all of us. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Wait, what? It's hard for me to even swallow when I think about it. It's easy to pass over. It's one of these that's so motivating, right? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. See, here's how I, I think I want it to be. For me to live is Christ and all the other good stuff. And I want to put death off as long as possible so I can enjoy Jesus and all the good stuff now. Anybody with me? That's where we're at, right? Somehow, for the Apostle Paul, as he had walked in his walk with Jesus, Jesus had become bigger and bigger and bigger, and the things of this world had become smaller and smaller and smaller. Sometimes, I think that going through the persecutions, going through the imprisonments, those things actually remind us what really matters. And for him, Jesus had become his everything. For you, is Jesus that person you want to see at the last thought of the day, the first thought in the morning, that it's Jesus? We just sang about it's only Jesus. It's all for him. This is, I think, the challenge. Would you do things this week? Would you do things this season? Would you do things this semester that would help Jesus become bigger to you. What does that mean? Does that mean spending some more time in his word or with worship songs? What does that mean? Spending more time in contemplation and prayer for him. Maybe spending less time doing the things that maybe are just for entertainment or diversion. I think we need to get to this point where we say, to me, to live is Christ. Whatever he has for me today, it's really for Jesus. Lord, help me have sufficient courage to make you known, to honor you in the situation. And if I die, I die. That's good because I'm with you. That's what he ends up saying, right? He says, if I go on living, this is going to be fruitful labor for me. This is going to be fruitful work for me. I'm going to be helping people grow in their knowledge and understanding of Christ. I'm going to help those who don't know Jesus know Jesus. This is going to be fruitful labor. That's a good thing. But he says, what should I choose? I don't know. Because really, if Jesus is my everything, he says, I desire to depart. That's the next verse, verse 23. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. To be with him for eternity, to see him face to face when my faith becomes sight, that's better by far. But he says, it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. And there we see the heart of Paul. That it wasn't, I want to stay here um, on earth because, man, I want to enjoy another wedding dinner. Boy, I had a good one last night, um, uh, Christine's wedding. It was, it was, they, they had some good, I, I, I don't want to be here on earth because I want to see this person one more time or have one more conversation or <clears throat> I rode a jet ski for the first time two weeks ago. I, I'm done with that. <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I don't have to do that ever again. Um, but what do I want? I want to see Christ. It's more necessary, though, he says, to be here with you for your growth. So he's convinced that he will remain. He says um, in verse 25, so I'm convinced that I will remain um, and continue with all of you for the progress and joy of your faith so that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ will abound on account of me. 
Paul's convinced that he's going to stay, he's going to remain, because there's more work to be done. Brothers and sisters, this is a word for us. This is a model for us, right? We're not here just for the enjoyment of this life, though this life is full of enjoyment. And if you go to the Ecclesiastes Bible study, we're going to talk a lot about the enjoyment of life. But part of what we need to enjoy is the fruitfulness, that fruitful labor. Part of what we enjoy is that work that God has given us to do of making Christ known. So it's better by far to be in eternity with him. But here, there is value. There is value in what God wants to do both in us and through us. Second, I want you to see that Paul was extremely committed. He cared deeply about their commitment to the cause. Look what he says in verse 27. Whatever happens, I want you, the Philippian church, and all of the Christian churches, and all of the followers of Christ, to conduct yourselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I see where I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Verse 28 without being frightened away by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. Okay, what is he concerned about? Number one, that you would conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of Christ. That, that you would be those that would have sufficient courage. That you wouldn't be frightened away by those who oppose you. That you, in your workplace, in your family, uh, with your neighbors, that you, with your friends and relatives, that you would be known as a believer. That you would make Jesus known in all situations. And that notice, he says, that you would strive together in this calling. That there is a partnership. It's hard to do it alone. It's hard to do it by yourself. It's hard to do it, um, just you. I've <clears throat> always found it to be the greatest joy um, is being part of ministry teams, being part of church, being part of the college ministry groups. That's where some of my best friends came from. In fact, I would say my best friends in college, the ones that still to this day I talk to. Who were they? The ones that we served together, that we were on mission teams together. Who do I have the closest bonds with? It's the people that are part of the church family, not just who attend, but what we partner with in building God's kingdom and making Jesus known. Have you had that? You've seen that, how working together bonds us together. It's not just lunches and it's not just dinners. It's not just the conversations. It's when we see the Lord working in our lives, not being frightened away, but striving together. He concludes with this verse in verse 29. For it has been granted to you not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle I had, and now hear that I still have. Is Paul worried that they're struggling? Is he upset that they're struggling? Is he upset that they're going through the same thing? Absolutely not. He cares about them striving together, that they're honoring Christ in all things, that they're not being frightened away. For me to live is Christ. To die, that's just merely gain. What would happen if we were the kind of people that took this seriously? 
What would, be, would happen if we were the kind of people that took Jesus so radically seriously, that we loved him so much, that he was our true gain, he was our first thought, he was our last thought, he was our, when we think about it sometimes, our all in all, what would happen in our lives? What would happen with the gospel? What would happen if, if, if our first thought was how could Jesus be made known? Last night as I was thinking about a lot of different things, um, I, I was, my mind began to go a little bit towards the semester and towards what would God do and what would happen if I really had to ask myself, am I living in such a way that I'm just trying to get through each day? I'm just trying to get the tasks accomplished? Or am I living each day with like Christ be exalted and make yourself known today through me? Hardships, bring them on if that makes you known. Blessings, br especially, bring them on if that makes you known. But God, I want you to be known. This seems to be that radical call that the Apostle Paul is making. Don't care about the stuff of this life, but put you first. There's a song that's been on the radio a lot, on the Christian radio, um, <laughs> called First Things First, you know? And it just, my desire is for you. I don't, I don't want to care about what the world cares about. I, I don't want to hold on to those things. Let me put the first thing. That's Jesus. Let him be first. So for you, the question uh, today is this. What are you caring deeply about is it about undesirable circumstances, those things, I mean, that just frustrate the fire out of you, that just, oh, get your ire up? Are, are they, is that what you're, what you're upset about? Or, or unjust opposition, whether it, it's opposition in society and injustices in society, or where things that are, are just plaguing you individually, is that what your thoughts are consumed about? Is that what you're most concerned about? Or is it about gospel impact through your life? Is it about your faithfulness and your character and the mission? And is it about the unity of the believers as we strive together? I think we have a very high calling, brothers and sisters. Let us be those for us to live. It's Christ. And die, that's just merely gain. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that you would transform this church, that you would transform all of our lives, Help us make the first things first. Prune off the other undesirables. Uh, let us not care about what others might think of us or what others might do to us or what others might say about us. Lord, let us be those who are deeply and fully and only concerned about you and your words, well done, my good and faithful servant. God, help us finish the race with sufficient courage. Let us end uh, with the same commitment at the beginning that you are everything. Our salvation is only in you. Lord, transform this place. Change our hearts. Make us like your son. We pray this all only in the name of Jesus because only in him do we have access to you, Father. Amen. Now this morning... There's some of you that maybe have never put Jesus first because you've just been living your own life and you've never said yes to him. You've never said, Jesus, I, 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 I'm trusting you for eternity. I, I need your death on the cross to count for my sins. Maybe you've never made that decision to follow Jesus at all. If that's you, whether listening online or whether here this morning, would you put your faith in Jesus today? For some of you, 
yeah, you put your faith in Jesus, but, well, quite frankly, he's been sidelined. And you, 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 you don't care about what Paul has been saying that he cares about, the spread of the good news of Jesus, that Christ would be honored in your body regardless of the circumstances. And maybe for you, you just need a revitalization. And maybe for some of you, you just know that you need to be part of a body of believers. And this is the one that God is assigning you to, to share your gifts, to share your leadership, so that you might make Jesus known together with us here. This morning, we give you a chance to respond. You personally with God, you do business right where you are, standing, sitting, kneeling, whatever you need to do. If you need to come to the altar to pray, that's fine. I'll be here. Pastor Barry, Pastor David, will be here with you uh, to pray with you. If you need someone to just talk with you about a decision to follow Jesus, join this church, or recommit your life to this call of Christ, you respond. We'll be available. We're here. The worship team is going to come. They're going to lead us uh, in one more song. You use this time to just do your business. Talk with the Lord. Make the decision He's calling you to make. I'm going to invite them to come, and as we sing, you, you, you obey and you follow, and you do what God is calling you to do. You can stand with us as we sing.